Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Kenny Rose. Kenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, John. Great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Why don't we start off the podcast how I start off all podcasts, which is a bit of a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah, happy to. So, um, you know, uh, I'm the founder and CEO at Franchares. We're the first company that allows anyone to invest in franchises like you could stocks. So $500, add a whole new part to your portfolio that's investing in local businesses down the street, providing common services like uh, eating, getting your hair cut, automotive, everything that franchising covers. And um, how I got there, uh, I actually got my career started off in the world of finance. I was an advisor at Merrill Lynch and I was doing it in San Francisco, saw robo-advisors coming. And so I wanted to see what else was out there for me. And I got randomly introduced to the franchise world. It was um, something I'd never thought of. And when I immediately learned that it's more than just fast food, I was like, wow, this is almost a trillion dollar industry most people don't really think about. And so I got into the industry as what's called a franchise broker. So kind of like being like a realtor or an investment advisor for someone who's trying to own a franchise. Uh, I'd educate them on what that's like, recommend specific brands based on their budget, skill set, and goals, and then coach them to that whole research and purchase process. And so I did that for the world's largest brokerage for a number of years and eventually went and started my own company called Semphia and um, really became a thought leader in the space. Uh, you know, right names on Quora, touchbase journalists, eventually got featured in Forbes, ABC, Business Insider. And I reached over 300 million people without a penny in ad spend. And so I built this good brokerage over the years and then the pandemic hit. And I read an article that people were gambling on the stock market because sports weren't on. And that was just an aha moment. It's like, okay, a lot of investing doesn't make sense anymore. They need something new to put out there. And so that's when I shut that down and uh, created Franchares. And we raised a venture back round and had an initial launch last year, which was the largest launch ever for an alternative investing platform. And so we're excited to uh, continue to grow. We've got over 40,000 people on our wait list for uh, upcoming offerings. And so, you know, it's really been a, a great journey and seeing people really open up to different types of investments that are out there. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of different. And uh, I'm not sure if I want to say it's kind of odd or kind of genius. It's kind of sort it's of, kind of both. yeah, it's kind yeah. of both. <laughs> I'd say we're the weirdest cool company you've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be accurate. <laughs> it's not something I would have ever thought of right i mean it's like you're creating franchises but like a stock market like it's just i don't know what are like stupid question is one of the stupid questions i'm going to ask you is that uh, what's the risk factor in this i mean there's always going to be risk in any investment and you know um investing in small businesses is going to be riskier than probably the stock market um that's why they're considered alternative investments but it's one thing i've loved about the franchise industry over the years is that you know you're not just going into business trying to figure things out you've got all these systems in place and so you know how to launch you know how to grow you know how to scale and uh, we invest in the existing franchisees as, as well and so you're able to really research everything from what the industry is like uh what the franchise brand is like and then what that operator is like and so i would say it's uh i can put my sec cap on if you uh, haven't heard me speak it that way but you know i'd say it's uh should be safer than like general small business investing and certainly startup investing but you know it's still an alternative investment but we do everything to uh, reduce those risks by looking at the best brands and the best people there right 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 see one thing i'm going to say is that uh, yeah all invest investments have risk i agree with you on that and this is my perspective here but i think real estate has the least um risk it's also not the easiest to get into because it's such a high uh, cost of acquisition yeah right so yeah, and honestly it's 
Go ahead. I was just going to say that it's really just because of the financing. I mean, real estate only comes as a risk, you know, when uh, interest rates changes and if you can't finance it, but if you can hold off on the turmoil, you can always mm-hmm. win. Yeah. And I always love to say it's like, um, you know, we have a, a survey that we found that was uh, basically most financial advisors say you should have about 20% of your portfolio in alternatives. And I'd be one greedy person if I thought we were supposed to be that whole 20%. So I don't say we compete with real estate. It's we're another asset class you should have alongside it. And so just like you have stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, people are looking at more alternatives to properly diversify their portfolio. And one thing I especially love about franchising compared to other types of investments is it's pretty insulated from like, um, you know, market influence that's out there. You know, if someone starts uh, tweeting about uh, Walmart, you know, their stock can go down the tank, but people are still getting haircuts, they're getting their oil changed and, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. Okay. That, that may, I get, I get that. Now, which brings up the point is how does the profitability work here, right? Like, like it's like a business, you make sales, you make money. Stock market, mm-hmm. um, is really perception for the lack of better description. People think it's a good business, demand goes up. People think it's a bad business, demand goes down. Um, uh, Where does your fit in that? Um, More towards the former, because uh, you're investing in actual, like both physical and, you know, office-based businesses. And so as they cash flow, you know, what you're investing in is ownership in that franchise. So you earn both uh, quarterly dividends based on the performance of the business, as well as, uh, you know, eventually there's an exit, whether that's uh, that owner wants to buy out the rest of us or that we're selling it to another group. And then you'd get your pro rata share of the sale. And so that's why it's like definitely not as much like the stock market where uh, you say like perception of the business. It's like, no, what's the business actually doing? So, you know, it's pros and cons. It's uh, both great because you're not susceptible to the market influence, but also like the business has to perform. And that's why we uh, try and be very uh, stringent on our due diligence. Of course. And um, what would you say is the biggest risk there, right? Like, hold on, let me rephrase that and correct me again. Maybe I'm not, uh, I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. So one of the limitations I see in this is the amount of money being able to be earned in terms of a cap rate, like is very limited. And what I mean by limited is that you're never going to make a hundred percent. Like uh, you're getting a certain percentage per sale. So obviously the more sales, the bigger the payout, but it's never like, it's going to be one of those things where you're going to invest $200 and get a return of $400 because value went up. I mean, you definitely will over time. Sorry, I can't say definitely as you said, I get um, it. <laughs> but, you know, between the combination of equity growth and dividends, you definitely can see growth like that. But um, where I'm going to say that you won't find us is like, we're not the boomer bust type stocks. Like, you're, you know, it's not like you're going to invest in 10 exit. You know, we're not like a, any type of Bitcoin or anything like that. So again, it's really kind of a hybrid in between everything, which I think is what people like about it is that, you know, we're not too much like a stock, too much like a real estate. And uh, again, allow you to diversify in a asset class that really makes sense. Cause a lot of alternatives out there, they're just creating up new financial products that are confusing as hell and people don't understand versus this. It's like, oh, yeah, I shop, you know, I go to McDonald's, I get my hair cut at Supercuts. Like I get these things. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that part. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in terms of uh, in normal franchises, and I'm, I hate to be the negative guy here, but uh, and this has been something I've seen for myself, and it doesn't mean all franchises are the same, but a lot of times what happens is that you get a uh, the main franchise, like the main, you know, just say Bob's Chicken. I mean, rather than using live businesses, let's yeah, yeah. fictitious one, Bob's Chicken. Now, the Bob's Chicken Corporation, the guy who started it. They tend to be profitable, 
but that franchisee is almost just buying himself a job. You know, it really depends on the franchise. Um, you know, like people know Subway is like one of the biggest franchises and love to sing their praise. But like I've said for years that it's really not a great franchise to be in because like, you know, there's things from like when, where you have to buy supplies from and honestly, if there's like territory restrictions, like you ever seen a Subway open across the street from each other, basically? Well, it's because they don't have restrictions. They're like, hey, we'll let twice as many open, half will fail and we'll be fine. And so it's you know, there's more franchise brands out there than there are stocks on the stock market. It's over 4,000 different brands. So just like saying all stocks are good, I'm definitely never going to say all franchises are good. Half of them are probably bad, just like half the stocks are probably bad. And so it's really about making sure you're finding the right ones that, you know, have both like the right systems in place as well as profitability level. And so again, that's where I spent the last decade of my career was like uh, evaluating, understanding which ones do. And so especially like in the food space, I feel is where you especially hear what you're talking about. We like we'll do we do some food, but we also really love our service brands. Um, things like automotive, hair care, fitness, uh, much lower employee count, lower build out cost, little to no inventory. And so it's there's definitely bad industries and franchises out there. But um, that's where what we're here for is to really vet them ahead of time and make sure that you're investing in really quality businesses and industries. Yeah, I absolutely. I agree with you on that. And again, I'm, I'm assuming that obviously the, uh, the the earnings come from the overall performance. It's not based on each individual franchise or just the head office. I'm guessing, I mean, well, I guess it's really going to be based on head office because <laughs> franchisees pay up and head office is the one that uh, is where the investment comes from, technically. You know, it's also really about the operator themselves yeah. because like, frankly, McDonald's, everyone knows the golden arches, but a bad operator can run a McDonald's on the ground just as easily as anyone else. And then at the same time, it could be a relatively unknown brand. Maybe it's doing something in like window washing and you can do incredibly well there. And people just like wouldn't really have known about that before. And so it's about finding the right operators. And so a lot of what we're, we come in is that we work with the franchisors and identify like, hey, who are these great operators that are like the actual owner operators and are in there every day and love what they do? They're usually the ones who are the most undercapitalized. Like you'll have private equity come in, they'll own a ton of them, but the care's not there. And literally brands like McDonald's and Burger King are shutting down hundreds of locations because people thought they could just be check writers and it runs themselves. But realistically, it's, they want more of like that Chick-fil-A model. Like Chick-fil-A only costs 10 grand to own because you need to have worked in a Chick-fil-A. You got to work your way up and then you got to apply to be a franchisee. And because of that, it's harder to get into get one of those than get into Harvard. And so we're basically bringing that Chick-fil-A model to all these brands and saying, who are the best operators that scraped all their pennies together and just got it open like once you build that foundation that's when you should get investment in but you know bank tends to look like oh you know like you've got a loan on these but it's like no they built the infrastructure they're ready to scale and so that's where we come in and facilitate is look at them as a franchisee not just a PL. got it got it see perfect i i knew there was something more to it and i was trying to figure out <laughs> where that uh gap was right and you're absolutely yeah. right too many things are based on PL. and reality is when a person's not in that business and they're not focused on that business such as a bank because a bank is pretty much so widespread they don't specialize in anything and when you're that's widespread there's no possible way that you can know the ins and out of every business and therefore the only way you have to evaluate is that PL. yep and another great example too is like um you know if you to use the, i'm just gonna stick with the food examples everyone knows them well but um if you had like a burger king uh guy who was a gm for 10 years 
and he applied to be a McDonald's franchisee. Like on paper, they're like, yeah, you're perfect. We would love for you to be one. Like you've done this before in a different brand. But then a bank's going to look at them and they don't have a million or two million bucks in cash around because they were a GM at Burger King for 10 years. But when you, so it's like kind of, there's a separation between where the good operators are and where capital comes from. And so we really come as that in between to connect uh, capital with the best operators. Got it. So why all the uh, career switches? Like, why didn't you just stay in the financial system? Um, you know, I, uh, for one, when I was in finance, I saw robo advisors coming because I was doing it in San Francisco. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't think this industry's got a lot of long-term potential here. Plus, like, I'm not, I'm not a wirehouse guy. Like, being in a big corporate stuffy office isn't really my scene. And, you know, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And, you know, I really saw franchising as really solving a problem I had myself where I was like, I'm entrepreneurial. I'm great at sales, but I don't have a business idea. And, you know, you don't, should just start a business for the sake of starting it. You got to have the right idea and the right drive. So I had the drive. I didn't have the idea. And so I actually got into the franchise industry as part of a franchise, which was franchise brokerage. So speaking of they franchise everything, they franchise selling franchises. And so I learned myself how I could come in, learn a new industry, learn a new skill set and really develop and build a business. And so that's what I love about it is like I saw it's such a big industry that people aren't really paying attention to yet does almost a trillion dollars to the US economy. And it's creating and building business owners. So just a lot of things I love about it. And it kind of connected that background of like the investment side, because you're really building an investment there yourself. Makes sense. Now, what my question is going to be, what is uh, like, like everybody has that moment where they question whether they did the right thing or not. And, and that I'm not, I don't necessarily mean whether, you know, being in the business they're in is the right thing, but like maybe the route they took, like maybe there, you know, is there an easier way? Was there a better way? Why am I doing this? Um, this is harder than I thought. Um, and we have that moment where we have self-doubt. And I believe everybody at some point in time in the venture has that self-doubt. Sometimes it's natural and it's from the beginning. Sometimes it's after some chaos happens and you just question yourself. What will be that struggling moment for you that where you kind of sort of questioning yourself? I mean, I feel like a good founder will say you always are, because if you're not, then you're doing something wrong or you're just ignorant. Um, I mean, even, I mean, from the very beginning, like I reached out to 400 venture capital groups and I got probably three calls out of that. And they were like, huh, interesting idea. Talk to you later. And so, you know, a lot of people then are just like, well, no one's going to invest in this. So I'm out. But, you know, instead you just got to really understand the vision of where you're trying to go. And so I took it as like, I know what this builds into and I'll prove it to these venture guys. And I went out and raised from uh, angel investors. And I raised about 600,000 in a few weeks because I had such a big uh, industry influence. And then I went back to all those venture companies. And then they're, once you've already got money and they like you a lot more. And so, um, you know, people have been, people argue the ability to constantly, but you just got to keep driving forward. And so uh, there's been plenty since then, and there will be plenty more moments where you doubt yourself, but you just got to see where this, you know, where it's building to, and you just got to see that picture at the end of the road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to ask you the exact opposite, because after doubt, comes what I call a surety, where you have that aha moment where you're like, you know what? I knew it. I shouldn't have doubted myself. I knew it. And this moment proved it. What was your aha moment? And I realized sometimes we have more than one. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Um, you know, honestly, I think the first time was probably when I got my first investment in the company. I was like, this has legs. And then it was when I got my first venture investment. It's like, okay, this has real legs. And, um, I, a good one that was pretty recent was uh, we, we've been raising for the company ourselves and uh, we had a syndicate that was going on and uh, the guy running it reaches out and he says, uh, hey, the CEO, actually, 
I probably should mention the name just to be safe, but like it was a board member for franchise with over 800 locations. And he's like, I heard about this. I love it. And you talk, like we started talking 15 minutes. And he's like, you got to talk to our CEO and CFO. And so like two days later, I'm on a call with the CEO of a very recognizable franchise brand. And so uh, it was one of those like, and they were just basically at the end, it was like, let us know when you're ready for us to come on board. We're excited. And so that was just like a, we didn't even do an outbound for brands. They've been coming to us. So it's one like that. And then um, finally, it's, you know, this waitlist I got here next to me, it actually updates live every time someone signs up. So every time's a mini aha moment where I'm just like, another person believes, keep driving forward, you know? Wow. That's incredible. I, I would have not, you know, I saw it there, but I didn't actually think that that's what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. It's a live look at a number of people waiting for our next uh, opportunities opening. Incredible. Love that. Now, which brings up the other point, right? How do you decide who you work with and who you don't work with? As far as like franchise brands? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you really start off top down looking at the industries that you can go into, which industries have been growing, have long-term aspects, are more Amazon resistant. Um, and then you look, okay, within these brands that we, or these industries that we like, what brands are the best within those? And what's great about franchising is that uh, it's regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So as part of that, they have to put out what's called franchise disclosure documents or FDDs. And the FDDs, um, they be registered with every state they do business in. And basically it shows everything from who the management team is, what their experience is, the company financials, how much it costs to build a location by line item. Uh, how much locations can make is there litigation against the franchise and just so many things to do all this due diligence before you even pick up a phone and call them and then from there you look at the franchisees within there that you can work with so there's a lot of uh, layers to it but you know you want to make sure that like there's so many opportunities for us we just want to bring on the you know top one percent there and so um you know it's a it's a process but it's been a good one and awesome people have been loving what we've uh, offered so far and there's a lot of great ones coming in the pipeline which brings up the other question right like it's easy to dissect, you know, established brands. But what if someone had a great idea, decided they wanted to franchise it and uh, wanted the help and really didn't know where to look? Like, is that something you would tap into or is it something sort of like too soon, too new kind of thing, not big enough to scale? Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that we'll eventually do. Like eventually we'd love to have a, like a franchise venture fund. So as people are trying to franchise businesses, we can assist them, invest in them, and then bring it out to our network of investors. Um, but, you know, until then, like we're trying to work with more established brands, um, you know, a couple hundred locations at the minimum. Uh, but, you know, eventually we want to have this really just like you can find any other financial product out there where there's different levels of risk tolerance, time horizon. And so, you know, one of those levels of risk tolerance is how big the brand is. So maybe they say, you know, I want something that's way less risky. And so you're looking for something that's got a thousand plus locations to invest in. But then other investors say, hey, I'm willing to take a bet earlier on for something because I think it'll do better. Because those newer brands, you're going to be able to get investments in the major cities. Right. Versus the one that's got a couple thousand. It's like, you know, pick a phone from McDonald's and like, yeah, we've got 50 of them there. We don't need that. And so like, you're going to end up finding locations in the middle of nowhere. And so, um, yeah, we'll be do we'll end up doing a bit of everything, but you know, it's really as we grow, just doing it in a systematic approach to it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Has there ever been, um, for a lot, you know, okay. I guess there's no sensitive way of wording this, but has there ever been a moment where you were working with someone decided they were not the right fit for whatever reason, whether it was culture, whether there was something major and they just uh, decided that, no, we're not going to work with you. We're going to back out. Um, I mean, there has been, I, I don't want to get too, you know, I don't speak ill of, uh, no, of anyone I've worked not. with in the past. So, uh, but, but yeah, there has been, of course. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that so far. I mean, it's an interesting concept here, right? Like it's, I'll be honest, I've never heard of this before. So it's kind of uh, unique. Thank you. Yeah, we're the uh, very first ones. I mean, you find fractional investing like this for real estate and artwork and collectibles and wine, but uh, no one had done it for franchising. And, you know, all the big venture investors always ask me why. And I'm like, <laughs> well, no one really dove in and learned about the industry. And that's why, I, frankly, I did a, like we are saying, it's both cool and weird. I did a weird move 10 years ago and got in the franchise world. And I knew there'd be something to build by becoming an expert in it. You know, some people think they can see something and then build it for them. But it's like, if you don't really understand the industry and their needs, it's very tough. And especially in the franchise industry, it's a very tight knit, close, small community. Yeah, of course. Now, in terms of right now, you are in the United States, correct? Is there any expansion plans that like to go beyond the United States? Absolutely. Yeah, we plan on getting both uh, investors from abroad involved in what our offerings as well as you know, love to invest in a couple different ways uh, internationally. One would be investing in international brands that are trying to get started in their respective areas, um, or they're trying to come to the US, or their US brands, they're trying to go into other areas. Like you can do something that's called like master franchising, where you can buy the rights to like, especially internationally, they'll usually sell you the rights to the entire country. And then you get to develop all the locations in that country. And so that's something that I'd love to be a part of down the road. Um, again, there's multiple factors that go into like when we can start doing that, but it's really exciting when we'll be able to. Yeah, exactly. Now with getting into this, right? You, um, like how, how did you develop this? Like, how did you build it? Like, I know you can't just open up a corporation and turn around and say, <laughs> give me money. Right. Like I mean, yeah. you got regulations out there and like, how did you oh, discover yeah. these regulations and how, and how did you, you know, basically push through them? Yeah. So f funny enough, I actually came up with this idea seven years ago, but didn't start building until two or three years ago. And the reason I didn't start then was one, I wanted to become like the industry expert and be very fundable there. And also I wanted to understand how this works. So like, you know, even though I was running my other company, I still spend nights uh, learning the different regulations, how things worked. And, you know, from there, once we got started, uh, you know, you're talking to attorneys constantly and broker dealers and um, learning the way of the land. And, um, you know, former life, I could have been an attorney. And uh, I love when my lawyers are like, are you sure you weren't one before? And um, so it's, uh, you know, it's something that I had to learn over time. But it's great when I can walk into like a new attorney's office or new broker dealer and like keep up with them right away. And so it makes things go a lot easier. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I was asking because I'll be honest, I went through a uh, kind of a similar um like I went through this process myself or I'm going through this process myself. Uh, when I wanted to start it for my capital business, it's uh, one of those things that I talked to different accountants, different lawyers. You know, I even talked to mortgage people because um, obviously, hint, hint, real estate. <laughs> so I just you know what industry I'm in. Um, yep. And I got uh, no word of a lie. I've got five different answers from everybody. And yep. sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and I, I'm not, it's not even like I ask a mortgage guy and he gives me one answer. I ask a lawyer, gives me another answer because my legal perspective versus mortgage. No, I'm talking about, I talked to five different lawyers and they all give me different answers. And yeah, I, I believe that yeah. <laughs> That's why I talked to different lawyers. <laughs> it was so mind boggling. Then I, um, I had on a podcast, I had somebody that was an accountant, but he also is part of the law firm as well. So he's kind of dual thing in this building. And we had a conversation. He was describing some investment opportunity for other people. And I'm like, hmm, wait a minute. 
This is similar to what I want to do. He must know what I what I want to do. So I had a conversation with him and I got started. And that's when I started getting the real education. <laughs> yeah, trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I started, right? And I thought, okay, I want people to be able to use their investments into my uh, thing and be able to, uh, anybody can invest kind of thing. Then I learned, no, that's when you got to get into securities. And that's another fee. So I'm like, yep, all righty then. And then how yeah, much does that cost? Through, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I realized, I mean, I'm not dead in the water, but now I can have accredited investors, but I'm like, okay, well, that's a limited pool. Yep. Right. And I'm like, and I'm not against it. Don't get me wrong, but where my vision was and what I'm set up for today are not exactly in the same spot. Yeah. Right. So I mean, it takes time to develop it for sure. And plus like, again, different attorneys will have different ways of like putting it together for you. Yeah. 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 So again, I'm all fine for it and I'm okay with, you know, it, it was just one of those things that it was not as simple or as fast of a process as I thought it was going to be. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Definitely> not. <laughs> uh, also the, uh, the SEC doesn't have uh, franchise people on theirs. They have a bunch of real estate people that we end up talking to. And so uh, it's an, it's an, they'll understand what you're doing a lot more than they understand what we're doing. So you, you'll have an easier time than I have. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. That's right. That must add another layer. Just a bit. Yeah. But it, no, but it's, it's been great though. Like it's all been a learning process, but we've gotten past it all and just uh, excited for the road ahead. Makes total sense. Now, what would your advice be? For someone who's heard this interview today and is interested in being involved in some sort of kind of business similar, whether it's working with you, whether it's, you know, creating their own version of something like that, um, you know, they're just one of those things that they thought about things and they never took action because they're scared or whatever, but they want to basically start pulling the trigger. What would you advise that new entrepreneur? I mean, for one I mean, go, go do homework forever. Like you should measure 20 times before you cut once. Um, you know, people like to think I'm like, I've, th I mean, I, I've been thinking this over for years, like I said, so it's, uh, it wasn't just like I woke up one day and did it. And so go do your research on every part of it and like other businesses in the industry. And honestly, go read through those legal documents of like the laws that got put into place for this. Um, but the other thing is that there will never be a perfect time to go jump. You just have to jump. Um, you know, I'd been, like I said before, I'd been running a pretty successful franchise brokerage and I put this idea on the back shelf for a bit. And then I read that article about uh, gambling on the stock market. And I'm like, okay, that's it. But realistically, I should have started a year or two before. And when I'd read that, we would have had a couple billion on, on the platform probably. So I jumped, but I could have jumped earlier, but you still have to jump in a smart way. And uh, another thing I love to say is uh, live lean. You know, you don't know when you're going to start making money or where you, when you'll get funded. So be conservative with uh, everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was uh, finding funding. I guess I would say finding funding was probably a challenge, right? Oh, yeah. It's extremely difficult. Um, frankly, you, you use the uh, the F word and uh, they get a little uneasy because it's, it's not like a hip, cool Silicon Valley thing. It's franchising. And so uh, it's funny because then when you talk to like people who are users or like just even random people on the street, they're like, that makes total sense. It's a great idea, like home run. But then like, you know, fundraising for it, their, their job is to poke holes. And, um, you know, they like to invest in things that they understand in some capacity. And most people in venture don't have any experience in franchising. True. And, um, you know, our biggest investor, uh, Chicago Ventures, like I'm based in Chicago and they had come off huge wins with like Project 44, M1 Finance, Cameo. They had six companies turn billion dollar companies that year. And um, 
you know, I started talking to them and it turned out their founding partner was part of a group that rolled up 500 KFCs and flipped it to private equity. And so as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, you get this. He's like, yeah, I get it. And right then I knew we were good. But so th that's the hardest part is finding people who like understand enough and are open to something very different. Like it's, it's not a sexy industry, but good investing is usually not the sexiest. True. Well, that's what I believe. I believe if you've got something that's, uh, you know, not a fly by night thing, it's something that's slow, boring and steady. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So when you asked about, you know, massive returns, I'm like, no, we're not the 10 X type, but we're consistent and long-term and do you well. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I get that now. Yeah. Cause I had my own experience. So I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Like when I had my concept and I had my idea and I was trying to work on putting it together again, when I was getting the five different advices, <laughs> um, I was talking to somebody about it and I guess I sold it really well because he showed up to like I was on a contract job at the time and uh, that was only like six weeks. But the point is, I took this contract that that, you know, and I was talking to somebody working there and he, the guy we were talking and all that. And uh, he actually showed up the next day with a check. And I was like, no, that's not the way this works. <laughs> <laughs> but then I mean, there are worse problems to have, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like then I had the opposite, right? you know, where you get the person. Oh, that's a great idea. I want to be involved. And, you know, oh, it's coming. The money's coming. It's like uh, three months later. Yeah, I don't think it's coming. <laughs> yeah, been, there, been there before a time or two. <laughs> So yeah, I found it interesting myself. Um, I, I agree with you. And I think I might not have as many uh, struggles as you because people understand the business, mm -hmm. right? I mean, even in a space where banks will fund what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> right? So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot tougher for this, but um, yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's a harder uphill battle, but I see a lot of green pasture for us once we climb up. Absolutely. Well, in light of time, I'm going to get down to uh, last couple of questions before I get into what I call the lightning round. All righty. All right. So the next question is going to be, how do you know that you've had a successful day? Ooh, I go to bed easily. You know, I feel like if I don't have a successful day, I'm still thinking about it and I'm thinking about solutions and I can't go to sleep until I do. Good one. Now, last but not least before the lightning round is if people want to reach out to you or find you or learn more about your business, where would they go? Yeah. So um, for reaching out to me, add me on LinkedIn, mention the sh that you heard it on this show. And um, I also check out our websites, franchares.com. And, uh, you know, for myself on LinkedIn, it's Kenny Rose, Rose like the flower and uh, pretty easy to find on there. And I talk about all sorts of things on there. Fantastic. All right. Let's get into the lightning round with question number one, which is probably my favorite question. What is your favorite food and why? Ooh, uh, kind of a simple answer but still my best is a uh, pizza and uh, I actually worked in a pizza shop for five years growing up in like high school and college and so uh, I learned how to make everything in all these different ways and so uh, it's it's just uh, my old reliable I love it well it's very simplistic for sure and I could see why you like it. I mean, pizza is I think a lot of people have a lot of good stories around pizza yeah Plus, there's so many fr pizza franchises. Like, you got to love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used to make my own pizzas. Like, uh, my brother-in-law was not was uh, a gluten-free baker. He had his own shop. Oh, yeah. And he used to give me the uh, pizza shells. So, I used oh, to awesome. love it. I would take the pizza shells and then just make my own toppings. Oh, so much fun. That's awesome. Love it. So, question number two, favorite travel spot and why? Ooh. Um it's a toss-up. Uh, they're both areas I used to live in, uh, so that's part of the whys. But either be San Diego. I uh, finished high school, went to college there, and it's it's San Diego. Like, what's not to love? It's beautiful. The weather's perfect. I got family and friends there. Um, 
And yeah, just endless things to do. Uh, the others, very opposite. Uh, Telluride, Colorado. It's a little mountain ski town. And um, I lived there for five years growing up. And its population's like two or 3,000. Amazing skiing, amazing hometown vibe. Like you never drive anywhere. You're just walking. And, uh, you know, I go back. It's like I never left, even though I lived there 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So you're a very outdoorsy kind of person. Yeah. 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 Nice. Um, favorite podcast and or book? Ooh. Um, you know, I'm going to go with book and um, uh, I'd have to say Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Interesting. You know, you kind of, yeah, you get the uh, the beginning stories of like him with like shoes, the trunk of his car, scaling the business, learning different challenges, things that come up and like, you know, his travels to Asia and how these partnerships that blossomed and how it all ended up. So it's a really great success story from like the smallest of beginnings. Makes sense. Love it. Okay, last but not least is if you had unlimited amount of money, but you had only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend it on, you get to keep, and what you don't spend gets taken away, what would you do? <laughs> um, that's a really interesting one. I mean, I have to, I'm definitely biased in saying this, but I will just go buy a million franchises and have all the cash need for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. It'll provide income. I know I can retire off that. So, uh, yeah. And then anything else that's very materialistic, I could go by later. <laughs> yeah, good point. So definitely we see that you stand in the whole investment strategy. Yep. You got you to gotta eat what you preach. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Kenny, this was an amazing time. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw, subscribe to the link below.